Good morning and welcome to Oikos. We are glad that you're with us as we continue this series that Jesus is greater. This section of Hebrews, as we go through, it's kind of a large section that we read through this week. But essentially, we hear that Jesus is better than any priest. So Jesus is better than me. Everybody agree? Yeah, I, I knew that was going to come really quickly. Jesus is better than the best pastor you've ever had. Jesus is better than the most exquisite and articulate preacher that you've ever heard. He's better. Jesus is better than any sacrifice that you can make. It continues in Hebrew. You look at what is Jesus better than? When we look at the history that's tied into this book, we know that there may, may have been some struggle about what should we be looking for, or perhaps we're under so much persecution that maybe we should just go back to what we know. To me, and I preached on this a couple weeks ago, again, kind of, I feel like a huge connecting point for all of us. It's just as God invites us into something, we have this tendency to say, I think what I know is better. And Satan and all work excruciatingly hard at convincing us that this is better when Jesus is standing right there. Saying, just come. Just come. I sent out a, a little thing to a few people. It's a video. I should, thing is not a really good descriptor, is it? It's like, what did you send? Um, I sent a little video snippet on Messenger to three individuals. They'll know who they are. And it was about making a five-second decision. That so often we, Jason's like, yeah. <laughs> So often we can find ourselves being moved to do something, but our brain, if we don't make the decision within five seconds, will quickly rationalize why we should not. And so some people will find themselves stuck not moving forward because they allow that five seconds to expire. I'm sure you've been there. You're ready to go help someone because you see something. You hesitate. And then your mind catches up and says, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You don't have the right tools. You don't have the right stuff. You don't know the right things. And we find ourselves stuck. I don't think Hebrews is talking about just making five-second decisions. But it is definitely saying that Jesus is better. And so often when we get that invitation, we let five seconds expire. And we return to what we know. For the Hebrews that this writer is writing to, I can imagine that knowing that if they would go to the temple and have something, an animal sacrifice for them, would bring some comfort. Knowing that that ritual process of, well, I go to the priest and he'll sacrifice and then my sin is forgiven. 
had to have been kind of tempting to say, man, we're being killed for this. Our businesses are being stripped away. Our status in the community is being squashed because we've said Jesus is better. Maybe we should say, nah, let's just go back to what we know. <clears throat> Many people will say, wouldn't it be great to become like one with nature? Have you ever heard that? Right? I'm going to go be one with nature. What happens when you try to go be one with nature? Usually it bites you back. But you go one with nature and you get distracted along the way, right? It's very difficult to do that. The same thing happens when we try to be one with God. So a Christian can say, oh, I'm going to go be one with God. But we soon find ourselves... There's too much going on. I can't stay focused to do that. So one of the reasons why Jesus is better is because that's exactly what he did. He became one of us instead. He knew that we would not be able to be one with him, that no amount of sacrifices, no amount of effort would allow us to step into his flesh. We couldn't even touch him. We couldn't even look at him. So he reversed it and instead stepped into ours. Now, this is fundamental because at that moment in Bethlehem, the Trinity fundamentally changed. Up until that point, there was a son, a father, and a spirit, but the son had not taken flesh. But in that moment that he was born was a moment that the Trinity changed. And now was a Godhead that included flesh of our flesh so that we could be one with him. Now, that made me think, how awesome is it that Jesus, who is better, became one of us? Hebrews speaks about that, but it also speaks about that not only is he the better priest, not only is he the best sacrifice, but he also provides a better covenant. So the Hebrews were working with an old covenant, and I will say that we still work with that covenant. We find ourselves working with a covenant that's been replaced. Even as Christians, right? Even as Oikos members or people that are part of the Oikos family, we still try to work under this old covenant that was really just a glimmer or a shadow of what was to come. Hebrews chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up. I can't go over all the chapters. I mean, if you want me to, I will. Anybody want to go over all the chapters? Oh, we got one. When? When would like? How about we get together later? Okay. So Hebrews chapter 8. Here is the main point. That's why I chose this chapter, because I want to get to the main point. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God of heaven. 
There he ministered in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there are, all, since there are already priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God. He better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, and this quotation comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. Just as we kind of remember, as I told you in Hebrews, oftentimes he's going to look back into the prophets to make sure that people are making a connection that this God is the same. And what you knew actually points to what is better. So don't hold on to just what you know, but let it point to what is better. The day is coming. Verse 8, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins." From the prophet Jeremiah. In this chapter and in this section of Jeremiah, he is telling them about the forecoming Messiah who will bring restoration. And right now, we are living in that restoration. The now, but not yet. See glimpses of transformation. I didn't, I didn't ask permission, so Ashley, you'll have to forgive me. But I was thinking as Ashley was singing and just seeing how moved she was by simply singing praises and thinking, man, just over five years ago, she wouldn't have been caught dead on this stage. She would have said, oh yeah, I believe, I believe but it wasn't yet on her heart. And now God has gripped her heart and done a transformation. And then I started thinking about all the people who've walked in the doors today. I really should have sought permission for this, but I'm not 
Thank you. We've got a guy here, if you don't know, you probably don't know him very well. He's been with us for a long time. We've been speaking into his life for a long time. And sometimes you're not sure if he's listening. But I found out just recently that he has incorporated what we do on a morning basis at our devotions. He's taking that on to his business. And so when he goes through the safety protocol with his employees who didn't come there to hear about Jesus, they came there to get, right, a paycheck. He makes sure that they have prayer and they read God's word. Stacy Batterson. <laughs> I tell you, that was like huge. Leaving what you know and stepping into what you don't know being affirmed that small steps are only are the only ones you can take towards greatness. There will be lives transformed in Stacy's company. He may not get to see them, but those around them will. And that's all I want in our church. Small steps faithful steps of hearing that Jesus is better. And then we can leave some of the stuff that we think is great behind. I'm not quite done with chapter 8. Verse 13, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So why is this new covenant so much better? The first covenant was set kind of in what we're very familiar with, which is time. The first covenant was about when you sin, right? A period of time. Then go, have a sacrifice made, and then receive forgiveness. Each time you sin, you will do this. Each time you'll go and have the priest make an offering. Each time you'll look at that priest and you'll say, the priest is the mediator for my sin. You'll be dependent upon the priest and the tabernacle or the temple. And you'll go and you'll receive it. But the new covenant changes and takes it out of time. And instead puts it into the era of eternity. That Jesus says, I've already mediated for your sin. I am mediating for your sin. And I will mediate for your sin. Jesus says, I have forgiven your sin. I am forgiving your sin. And I will forgive your sin. I hope you can catch that difference because the per perspective changes. No longer are we required to check our sins and then go and say, now I have to get the forgiveness, and then once I get the forgiveness, then I'm good. Instead, Jesus says, the sacrifice has been made. 
believe. And believing is I have believed, I am believing, and I will believe. The old covenant was intended to begin to shape the lives of those who followed it. And it did that by curbing behaviors, right? Setting them apart. And what it did was exactly that. It changed some behaviors, but it didn't necessarily change any hearts. And that's why I can go back to, I think for many of us, we have forgotten that Jesus offered a new covenant. And instead, we have reinterpreted the old covenant and just slapped Jesus on it. Now, what do I mean by that? We come up with a lot of crazy rules, don't we? If you do this, then you're really a Christian. I was thinking about one of the places where I served where you couldn't wear flip-flops. And if you did, you weren't really a Christian. I had a hard time with that because I was like, I kind of like wearing flip-flops. And what do you mean I'm not a Christian if I wear flip-flops? Then you can even go back, right, to maybe some of your own experiences where they said if you don't have a tie on, you can't be an elder. Because a tie grows you up or something. <laughs> right? Now, these things are not bad. They're not bad. A, a place that says you can't wear flip-flops, it was my own immaturity. My own immaturity that said, well, I'm wearing flip-flops. Instead of respecting that, well, this culture says you can't wear a flip-flop, so whatever. A place that says you need to wear a tie to be an elder, wear a tie. Right? But these are all rules that we have constructed that have nothing to do with the new covenant. Right? We have rules in our own idea, in our own mind. You got a sleeve of tattoos? Not sure if you uh, can make it in our church. Right? No? Well, thank you. <laughs> Someone's out there, wait a minute, let's not go down this, this road. But we make up our own covenant instead of receiving the invitation to join Jesus' covenant. See, Jesus' covenant is not easy, but it is simple. Believe in me. Believe that I'm your Savior, that I died for you, that I rose again for you, and that by simply holding on to me as I hold on to you, you have eternal life. And even when you let go, I keep holding. 
Because it's my love that compels you to love. It's my blood that allows your blood not to be shed. But we say, oh, wait a minute. What can I add to that? I must not be a Christian if I don't do these things. It is so true that we cannot make ourselves holy. Everyone believe that? The way we become holy, what do you th- who makes us holy? So, of course, you're going to say Jesus because you're in church, right? <laughs> but what if we go into the Trinity and we say the Holy, wouldn't that be a good person to start with? The Holy Spirit? How can we get holiness unless we allow the Holy Spirit to give us holiness? I mean, that's who I go to. I mean, that's where we should go to, is inviting the Holy Spirit, surrendering to the Holy Spirit, and inviting that holiness of Him to fill us. We can't produce it. And hopefully you're in my same shoes that in the times that I've tried to produce holiness, like, let everyone see that I'm holy, right? I start in the wrong spot. I start with me. What the Holy Spirit is asking us is that not only do you receive holiness from us, from me, but I also bring you the love of the Father's heart. So rather than focusing on external behaviors, which is the old covenant, he's inviting us to focus in on our heart. Throughout Hebrews, we keep seeing this phrase, soften their heart. Throughout the Old Testament, soften their heart. And that really made me start thinking. We live in the new covenant by asking the Lord, by asking the Holy Spirit, by surrendering to the Holy Spirit and saying, soften my heart. Soften my heart so that you have sway in the things that I do. Soften my heart so that You'll have access to my thoughts. And you'll flip them from unholiness to holy. Soften my heart so that I can see you take away my fears, my anxieties, those things that cripple me as I try to step with you in this new covenant. The Holy Spirit takes the things that we are troubled with, burdened with. And in the New Covenant, he says, let me remove them so that you can live. Let me take those obstacles that you have that you've placed in front of you so that I can lead you. So we invite the Holy Spirit into our marriage. 
that's falling apart. We surrender to him. Now, when I'm thinking about this, how often have you guys, have all of us, when someone is experiencing difficulty, said, well, you just need to do this. I, I do it all the time because I am like logical man, okay? Actually, you may not think I'm very logical, but I do. So instantly, I always think there's a logical conclusion of how you solve the problem. If you're having a problem, here's a logical solution. You do this. But what I've heard the Spirit this last week speak to me, even though I, I, he's told me this before, is before you tell them to go do something, instead, invite them to surrender to me. Invite them to be in my presence first. Pray that their heart would be softened before you tell them anything. Maybe even pray that your heart would be softened so you tell them the right thing. The Spirit takes away our addictions when we surrender. So often, I think we get caught up in some things that we don't know how to control. And we go everywhere except for God for the answer. Now, I totally believe that sometimes He uses other people. In fact, He does a lot of time. So don't dismiss someone coming and helping you whether that be a doctor or a friend or a family member. But often, we go out looking everywhere for the solution instead of stepping in and saying, Lord, instead of me trying to strive to get out of this, maybe I just need to surrender to you. Have you asked the Spirit to replace your thoughts? Have you surrendered those thoughts of the person that has really betrayed you or irritated you. Have you said, Spirit, soften their heart and soften mine? We invite him to replace those thoughts so that we can be swayed by him instead of by ourselves. Maybe it's a fear of finances. And we ask the Lord... We ask the Holy Spirit, let me surrender to you so you can take that fear that I will not be provided for. That if I don't do this, this, and this, it's all going to collapse. But instead, maybe I should start with surrendering to you first and knowing that you're a God who does provide. Even when it seems like everything has been taken away. You step in and provide. So this morning, I want us to think about surrendering instead of striving. Because I think the old covenant was about striving. It was about crawling and trying to slowly reach the point where you could say I was free from sin. 
if I just go to the temple enough, if I just give enough, if I just am a good, nice person, the Lord will look favorably on me. But he's asking us to surrender. And when you surrender, you do When you surrender, you do nothing, right? Right? Isn't that what they tell you when you surrender? I mean, I haven't been arrested lately. <laughs> there was one time. I won't go into that. But we were told to do nothing. Now, I wanted to do everything in that moment. Like run, <laughs> find a lawyer. You're like, what is he talking about? You're not going to find out. <laughs> but that's our, our spirit, right? What can I do? What can I do to get out of this? What can I do? What can I do to make it? What can I do? What can I do to fix that person? What can I do? What can I do just to help them? Well, he says, surrender. And then he'll let us do. But we won't be led by ourselves. We'll be led by him. We won't be doing it by ourselves. We'll be doing it with him. So where do you need to surrender to the Spirit? Have some reflection right now as you're thinking. What is that area where I go, I think I'll do it and then invite God later? Or I'll fix it and then maybe include him? Where is it in your life where you're going, I got to do something? But you haven't yet surrendered it to him. The covenant, this new covenant, does actually change your behavior. I can guarantee it. The reason why I can guarantee it is because I know that the moment that you surrender to the Holy Spirit, He is active and working. We can guarantee that He's in this room right now. We can guarantee that as the kids come in, that he's living and active in each of them as they heard that word. We can guarantee that even though you may be distracted, right? Something's moving here. We can also guarantee that when we go, I can't surrender that, that we push him out. So whether you say, I can't surrender changing this behavior to him, I'm going to figure it out, is the moment when you are closing the door and he keeps knocking, waiting for you because he's a patient God. And when I hear those words, I think about this writer to the Hebrews as well. They should know all this. They should have already experienced some freedom 
of being faithful followers of Jesus, and yet they want to go back here. We should know this. And yet we want to go back here. Or we actually want to act like this is not where we're at, but we are. Because we're striving for Jesus to love us. We're striving for those around us to love us, right? How often do you do something and go, I just wish someone would see what I did so that they can tell me I did a good job. How often do we look for approval from other people instead of resting in our surrendering to the Holy Spirit? That, that's all we need. There's an often quoted verse in this same section of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. You guys probably know this. For the plans, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, often this verse isn't included, but I love this one even more. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. The restoration is that God makes it so simple. Yet we try to complicate it. And so every day, a surrendering to the Spirit is really this. Lord, soften my heart. Help me not to complicate the faith. But instead, just believe that you're enough. That you're enough. That you are better than anything I can come up with. And when I rest in that, you will do great things in me. And the words like, what do I need to do? How will I do it? How do I feel? How am I doing? That word I starts to be cut out. And instead your eyes start to focus on where he's going, where he's breathing, where he's inviting you. You stop looking around and saying, oh, I wish Michelle and Jim would say you're doing such a great job. Or I wish Christy would send me an email from Austin and go, man, I saw you do this. What a great job. Instead, I know I've got full approval from my Father because in this new covenant, Jesus took on our flesh. And because he took on our flesh, we are with him. And because we are with him, when he sits at the right hand of God, guess where we get to be? Right there. Because he is with us, when we stand before God, we have no shame. Because he took care of it. When we stand with him, no matter how complicated we've made our marriage, he reminds us to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
and to put ourselves second. When we want to hate our enemy, he reminds us to love them. Now, that's not easy, right? But it is pretty simple. Like, it is the most simple thing. We complicate it because I go, well, how can I love someone? Or how can I fix my marriage? Or how can I fix my kids? Or how can I do this? How can I fix my finances? Right? I go through all these questions. But he says, love them. He says, put me first. He says, trust me. Right? Mary, he says that right? Trust me. We say we're not sure we can. So my invitation for this morning is may you learn from this book that Jesus really is better. And then in five seconds, we can come up with a thousand things of why it's not. In five seconds, we can come up with all the things we need to do to make sure we add to what Jesus has already done. But he's inviting us to take a step within those five seconds and not think about it and just trust. Surrender, trust. You're unsure about your health? surrender and go no matter what is coming I know it's better it may not appear that way right now I may be sick I may even be told that I'm going into hospice but hospice isn't my future he's got a better future bankruptcy Maybe my future, but it isn't the end of the story. He's better. He's better now, and he's better in the future. He's better in the past. The new covenant is about all time. So as we leave this morning, may we be people of faith and hope, knowing that he's working right now. It's not just about when he comes again. We're seeing glimpses right now of transformation. And he definitely has worked in the past. May we fall on our knees and surrender rather than trying to crawl and strive. He's calling us to peace. Amen. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today. Those hearts that are hardened whether we've hardened them because of all the things we've come up with in our own mind or whether we have denied you and your power to act in that area of my life, whether I've said, you've got bigger things to deal with. Lord, remind me that you didn't send your son so that I would say you didn't care. Remind me that you care about every minute and moment of my life. That you have plans for me. Plans that I have denied many times over. And I thank you, Lord, that in those denials and in those times that I run away, you are a good, good father 
who welcomes me back every time I repent and walks with me every time I believe and reminds me that you will not leave my side or forsake me. That you speak life into me when I feel like there's nothing but death. And when I'm overwhelmed, when I have anxiety, when I feel fear, you are that gentle whisper that calls me to surrender. And as I surrender, I do not fall into a worse place, but I fall into your arms. And I get to go places where I've never even thought of. May the excitement of your spirit fill our hearts and our minds. May the peace of your spirit fill our hearts and our minds. May we surrender to you, not out of obligation, but with full reception in our hearts. That you would change us and form us and fill us with your holiness. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us and taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.